filibuster, filibuster freestyle, filibuster, filibuster. Watch out for the filibuster. Cool. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a while and we're not going to talk about dragons tonight. We're not going to talk about wine, probably not even walls, but we're going to talk about eagles, Philadelphia eagles. On the filibuster freestyle with our buddy Dan O'Brien in Philadelphia. How you doing, Dan? Ooh, very well. Thank you much, very much for having me. I feel like uh, when you heard that the next Game of Thrones season might not come out till 2019, that you just had to have me back on because you missed me. We miss you, and we also did not want you to lose your chops because that's a long time to wait between podcasts. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So the, these are just this is all just in practice for final Game of Thrones season. That's awesome. right. But to the Philadelphia Eagles, speaking of being in practice, are off to one of their best starts. One of the best, I think, four or five starts in their history. At 8-1, yes. best record in the league, even if they were not – right now we're recording this at halftime of the Eagles-Cowboys Sunday night game. It's a 7-6 to six Eagles lead, I believe, at halftime. It's a barn burner. It's a barn burner. And uh, it's, it's, they're down 9-6. Oh, they're down 9-6. Okay, I missed, that. I missed that last field goal. But So it's 9-6, but even if they win or lose tonight, they're going to have the best record or tied for the best record in the NFL. So after, you know, 10 weeks – that looks pretty darn good for the Eagles. So people in Philadelphia must be crazy about the Eagles. They are anyway, even during bad seasons. So I want to get into that. But first, let's talk to the folks about why non-Philadelphia Eagles fans, what's the case for support for those guys this year? Yeah, and, and that's the main reason I want to talk to you, Gab, is because I, I feel like, you know, I don't have to tell you, we live in troubled times. Uh, it's a it's an interesting state of affairs politically. Yes. Uh both domestically and internationally, uh, there's a lot, a lot of uh, polarization, and I feel like uh, it, and that that has seeped into the NFL as well. And a lot of people are, are mm. mad at their own first or certain players and their teams for certain political reasons uh, or, or statements people might have made. And I feel like the Eagles are the bridge there in the NFL, and I feel like they it's somebody that everybody can root for. Because they are a quintessential all-American team that represents everybody. And everybody's really getting together on that team. And let me explain why. Okay, great. You're led by a quarterback, a second-year quarterback, Carson Wentz. He was a nobody coming out of high school. He went to North Dakota State. He was a bench player for two years. He played, started for two years in college. And out of nowhere got drafted. I don't, I don't understand the process. But he got drafted. But he wasn't anybody who was... Uh, coming out of uh, California and going to be the USC quarterback and whatever. He, yeah. He wasn't groomed to be anybody superstar. Under the radar for sure. Under the radar. He's a, he's salt of the earth. He's a hunter. He's a big fan uh, of God and church and the Bible, which is relatable to, to many of us. Uh, and he he's just a, a, a yo, does yeoman's work. He's famous for going into the office at 5 a.m. and doing the work. Okay. Now, that's a great leader, and that's the building block by the, uh, behind this team that I think everybody can relate to and get behind to a a degree. Behind them, you have captains, Malcolm Jenkins, who, little known fact, uh, his daughter used to attend my son's preschool. Oh, there you go. Must be be nice. Yeah, we never never spoke. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You have have Malcolm Jenkins. You have uh, Chris Long, somebody you're you're familiar with. Yeah, the Patriots fan base are, are big fans of Chris Long. 
Exactly. Yeah, he played with the Patriots, won a ring with you guys last year. He was signed as a 30-something defensive end. We thought it was just for, to use a hockey euphemism, a, a good guy in the room uh, to, to kind of to hone some of these younger players. He's actually gotten a couple sacks this year. Yeah, he can still go. He can still go a little bit, but also besides that, I, I, didn't, even, I didn't know his backstory, but he went to UVA. Yep. And he's a big Charlottesville supporter. So after you had these very... Uh, tumultuous protests in Charlottesville, he decided to, to donate his salary, his entire year's salary, to charity this year. He's playing for free. Which is crazy, by the way, because after they won the Super Bowl last year on the Patriots, they immediately made it clear to him they were not going to give him as much money as he was worth in the open market, so he decided to go and pursue that. And the unbelievable thing is he wouldn't pursue a better salary, and now he's giving it all away. For a noble cause, too. So how about that Howie Long, son of Howie Long, Chris Long? Wow. It's fantastic. He's giving it, and every week he's giving his, his weekly salary to a different charity. And it's like, you know, wow. building wells in Africa. It's for, you know, the social justice issues in, in, in the U.S. It's for all sorts of stuff. It's for um, the Anti-Defamation League and anti-hate crime things after Charlottesville. Wow. Just a real... Story and, a, and a really easy guy to get. And this, I mean, quite honestly, he's a 30 something defensive end. This might be his last year. Yeah. Uh, and it's very admirable. Well, let, me, have, let me ask you, on. let me ask you this though. So all very likable things, but you know, I think any of us who have been exposed to Eagles fans over the years know that Eagles fans are the first to jump on the ship and the first to jump off the ship as per, you know, the, the, the word around the streets outside of Philly is that, what I just said. Not not yeah. to say that I feel that way personally, just that I've heard that from friends and such. So no, how do you address that? No, we're, we're hard. Eagles fans are horrendous human beings. I, I, I can say that firsthand, and I say that I include myself as part of that. I used to have season tickets in the 700 level of the Veteran Stadium back in the day in college. I've been to a number of games. I don't have season tickets anymore, but... Uh, you know, because life gets in the way, and you know it's a young man's game. Quite honestly, going to football games every week—that's fair. But yeah, uh, but we are bandwagon jumpers. But uh, we will also are very quick to to back to jump back onto the bandwagon, yes. and we will even when the Eagles were horrendous. I will watch every game, uh, and it might be I might be hate watching it, even if they're they're horrendous. But I I will watch and and live and die with every every play and game. Right, um, it is a great fan base. I will say this. I mean. Uh, it's a franchise it's that's a been passion. around since the beginning, and it's kind of like the Houston Astros or or maybe even like the Cleveland Indians in that, you, you know, haven't won an NFL championship since 1960, which was, I think, six or seven years before the first Super Bowl. Uh, that's an underdog story. It is a redemption story for certain people. It, 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 there is social justice involved. There is all, It's a good, feel-good story. It feels good to root for these people. This okay. is not – this team of people who have been accused of domestic abuse or violence or that we've seen in the past. These are good people who would all, I would want them all to be to babysit my children. Oh, there you go. That's not bad at all. Yeah. Uh, that's not, my children are horrendous, by the way. Right, right. But still, you would trust them with your children. Let's, let's talk about your boy Carson Wentz for a minute because he's clearly not at like the Brian Dawkins all-time great Philadelphia Eagle pantheon no. of stars. He hasn't had the body of work yet, obviously. But exactly. what level of like affinity is he at now? What players of your would you compare him to? He is, and I say this, uh, he is the greatest quarterback in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles. Already. And that that says more about the history of the Philadelphia Eagles <laughs> than it does about 
Carson Wentz. Yeah. Um, but that, that's not that he is a, a very good – in any other franchise, he would just be like, oh, I feel great about this guy. But right now, he's the greatest quarterback in the history. Uh, the, 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 second, the, the second one is Donovan Knapp. And yeah. He was very good, but he was also uh, – you know, he had a lot of holes, a lot of flaws in his game. Uh, both in the locker room and on the field. So is this your hot take, or is Philly all in on this guy as the guy, consensus I mean, I know he's the guy to win, but is he that good in history of your team? Well, again, I don't want to make predictions, because as somebody who has never won a Super Bowl and is always feeling like the other shoe is about to drop, uh, I don't want to, to get too high on my horse or get too comfortable. Yes. Uh, but I will say that he has, in the first year and a half, demonstrated on and off the field the qualities, the exact qualities you want of somebody who would lead your team for the next 10, 15 years. Uh, and he's done everything uh, with with maturity, and uh, and he, he's surpassed every expert expectation th- thus far. Okay. I'll put, the, put it that way. Okay, perfect. And if they win the Super Bowl, and if he – this is a big if. This does not mean they will. If they ever win the Super Bowl in his career, let's put it that way, will he automatically become the greatest eagle of all time? Assuming uh, that's, a t- that's a tough one because you know there is there's Reggie White. Yeah, there's uh, a very lore, there's a very storied Eagles player history. What you've just put out to point people like me is it's not really at the quarterback position. Yeah, it's actually there's a lot of the uh, Chuck Bednarik, Reggie White, uh, Brian Dawkins. I feel like the most beloved Eagles are defensive players. Yes, um, he would be the greatest offensive player in the history of the Eagles. Okay, certainly. But, but, but so you're not. You, so, Okay, that's actually very put put well into perspective. Actually, okay, uh, how how what is the level of Eagles mania going into tonight's game? Um, if you would ask me that, but it is tough, and I don't want to talk about the, the specific game tonight right now. No, but this is before this game started, so you're eight and one. Uh, it's ten hours ago. I will say that people have been talking about, and the, again, this is worth the sad state of the Philadelphia sports scene. Uh, people were talking about this weekend with the Philadelphia's, the up-and-coming 76ers, which deserve a podcast down the road. Uh, the up-and-coming 76ers playing, were playing the Golden State Warriors last night, and tonight was Cowboys-Eagles, Sunday Night Football, for basically to decide if the Eagles win the NFC East at this point, this right. early in the year. Right. They're saying the biggest sports, sports weekend in Philadelphia in years. And which it's is regular season for both teams. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. But it's sad but true because nobody's really been in the playoffs. So let's just say the mania is real and people are fired up 100%. For instance, your wife was going to be on the pod tonight, and if it hadn't been for the Sunday sleepies, uh, (laughs) she would have been to talk about the Eagles. And I'm not saying she's not a big Eagles fan or a big Philly sports fan. I know those things to be true. But for her to be like, oh, yeah, sure, let's talk Eagles tonight. She was excited, and I will say, nine years ago when we got married, uh, she, uh, she played as if she was an Eagles fan. But only, only, a, but only a Phillies fan and being polite. She is a Phillies fan. She grew up a Phillies fan and she likes that, but she pretended that she was a Eagles fan through our courtship. And after we got married the first year, I, fig- I found out that she was not uh, necessarily a diehard Eagles fan wow. nine years Now she's all in on this team because of some of the reasons I talked about. And she there you go. has been dying with these plays, but also the Sunday sleepies. It's a tough. So, a so the mania, yeah. Well, you're a grizzled veteran of the Sunday the Sunday night shuffle because of Game <laughs> of Thrones and Wine Wall and Dragons on the filibuster freestyle. Exactly. All right, they're going to kick off in a few minutes, and I want you to be able to enjoy the second half of your game. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions, and we can let you go. Sure. Um, right. So clearly you mentioned the other shoe to drop. is just kind of the, the part of the mantra, the mystique of being a fan in that city. So people are still waiting for a shoe to drop, I'm guessing. 
Yeah, and you know all about that being a Boston fan growing up. I, I mean, yeah, we had trouble. Yeah, our life the last fifteen years or so. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you can you can relate. Well, we did win a championship with the Phillies in two thousand and eight, but that's basically if if you're under forty something years old, that's the only championship you've experienced uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, and so it's a very passionate fan base, and everybody's very quick to jump off a bandwagon, and nobody ever wants to publicly. Uh, uh, get too high on the horse, like I said. So we're always – the last four games I thought the Eagles were going to lose. We'll put it that way. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, you've got a lot of sports radio there. You've got everybody talking about the Eagles all the time anyway, let alone when they're going into this game with one loss, like they were, as they are still, you know, playing this game. Um, what is your – if you can recall, and I haven't asked you this on any kind of pre-show – what is your most like rabid Eagles fan esque quote you've heard around town lately? What's the most like Eaglesy take you've heard uh, from not from anybody besides yourself? Um, well, I'm trying to think if I, I can, there's a couple that I can think of, but none of them are for the family friendly pod. Uh, it, they, they, I will say that uh, people were there was a time earlier in this game where on Twitter. Carson Wentz went into the concussion protocol after yep. a hit first quarter. Yep. And a couple people threatened both murder and suicide on Twitter uh, very quickly right afterwards uh, to murder the defensive end who hit uh, Carson Wentz and also to commit suicide if he was hurt for real. So people are very high strung. Uh, I, I was going to say, and the best part is he came right back and I just watched him complete a pass to Brent Selleck here in the second half. So, I mean, but that, that right there actually, that proves everything that I just wanted to – you. You know, I'm going to root for the Eagles for all kinds of reasons. I'd say I, I just want to see – I want to see it keep going in this age of Twitter because when, yeah. when you guys were last very, very good, you know, in the mid-aughts, mid if you will, 2003, yeah. 4, 5, whatever, we didn't have social media like we have it today, if, if at all. And so for us in America to take the ride that we will get on the whiz-with roller coaster of Philadelphia Eagles fandom this season is something that I'm personally yeah. rooting for. Uh, at least, in, at least through the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, Gav, I'm just gonna be honest. We need this, uh, <laughs> and I speak as a city of Philadelphia. We need this. Uh, and I'd like the whole country to jump on board. And it's an underdog story. It is a. There are Democrats and Republicans on this team, and they are getting along together. And uh, it is a little slice of Americana as as we all want it to be. Uh-huh. Uh, and. I, we can all we can all get behind this team. Come on, guys, do this for me. I'll tell you what. Ne- never been a more uh, level-headed plea for the Philadelphia Eagles than from Dan O'Brien tonight. All right, Dan. We'll let you get back to the game. We're going to match this up with a Stone Temple Pilots drama for your mama podcast with Carl Ray tomorrow oh night. So make sure that you all listen to Dan and then keep listening to what Carl and I will talk about twenty-four hours from now when we record. Long live Scott Weiland. That's what I have to say, too. He's going to try to convince me otherwise. I don't know if I can be swayed. All right, Dan. <laughs> All thanks right, well, for being on, buddy. Uh, All right. Take care. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that was Dan O'Brien talking about the Eagles, and it is about 20 hours later, 22 hours later, and the Eagles really pulled away in the second half, and we're going to talk Stone Temple Pilots with our buddy Carl Ray, but Carl's also a massive Eagles fan, and the Eagles pulled away and went and won. They're now 9-1. Alone atop the NFL standings in terms of win-loss record. Carl, you're a season ticket holder. And by before you say hello, Carl did put together Parking Lot Carl's Ultimate Tailgate Mix, which is actually inspired from his Eagles season ticket holder tailgate expertise. So 
It must feel a little sweeter to tailgate for a 9-1 team, Carl. How are we doing, man? Oh, my gosh. What an exciting season, huh? Special team. They're a very special team. And uh, I don't know. Last night, you know, when they when they weren't doing well in the first half, I, I never felt truly uncomfortable. I knew that they would figure it out, you know? And uh, I thought, you know, the, the best part of that game for me is that they were completely unable to score – um, uh, you know, with their kicker because their kicker got a concussion. Right, so they couldn't get any points. Touchdown. Kick, right, they had to score touchdowns and they had to go for two every single time, which was hilarious. And they got it a bunch of times. Oh yeah, it almost looked like they were running up the score, but they they got it seventy five percent of the time. Three out of four times they 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 uh, converted that. So you guys have clearly, you know, pretty much mathematically uh, almost clinched. The NFC East title, and you got six weeks to go here. Um, is this Super Bowl or bust for you guys right now? I think the sentiment around town is cautious optimism. I think everybody's scared to mention the S word around here. Okay. <laughs> um, I think most people are just excited how great they're doing, and this team is certainly different than than past teams, recent past teams. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. That I think they're a special team. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to take it any further than that. <laughs> yeah, well, I will say that superstition is certainly a, a trait that you and Dan O'Brien have, have shared in terms of not – he wouldn't even pick how the game was going to go the rest of the way last oh night. He was like, yeah. I'm not going to comment on tonight's game. So anyway, oh, congrats to the Eagles and the fans, and hopefully you've enjoyed the first parts of this podcast uh, between Carl and Dan. Now we go to a band basically out of San Diego, a place that used to have a football team called the Chargers. Scott Weiland is best known as the front man for STP, but you've pointed out to me that STP has had now several singers. Uh, you're a big fan of STP, and they've got a new song out. Spoiler alert. Yeah. They've got a new song out called Meadow, which I actually have listened to about three times today, um, and I like it. We'll get into that. But I just want to start with this, and then I'll let you kind of drive for a bit, Carl, and I have some questions for you too. But Scott Weiland was great. I mean, he fronted two groups um, that were well known. One was a super group, and um, and you know, with obviously with Velvet Revolver being a lot of the Guns N' Roses guys, etc. Uh, the Delilah Brothers are also great. They're great songwriters, and I think what we'll learn is that Stone Temple Pilots were a super group, not because of they were guys who were known who formed a band, but because they were guys who were in a well known band that went on to do other well-known and critically and commercially successful things. I've got to give them a lot of credit for that. Um, and so let's, let's go with this. Um, Dave, is it Dave Coots? Dave Coates? Jeff. Jeff. Oh, Dave, oh, you're talking about the, uh, the guy, the guy. So for instance, one of the bands that the DeLeo talk brothers show. started was called talk show. Right. And so, when, when this came up, because the, the singer of talk show who kind of sings like Scott Weiland, was essentially right. saying that the new singer, Jeff Gutt, of Stone Temple Pilots, sounds too much like uh, Scott Weiland, and that now the guys from Stone Temple Pilots are ostensibly in a tribute, a tribute band of their own band. So it kind of started some drama. We're going to get that. But who the hell is Dave Coates anyway? So, uh, really funny. Um, you know, props to whatever writer dug this guy up, because he's essentially... A ghost. You okay. can't find anything on him. Um, you know, is the, the research that I've done, he, he originally was the lead singer of a band called Ten Inch Men. 
which was uh, a college radio act, basically, in the 1980s. So, like, you know, from there, from there, he goes into, um, you know, being picked up by Stone Temple Pilots here, and essentially sounds exactly like Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, you know... Yeah, so they started a band called Talk Show that started very much like STP, and there's a quote, and I don't have it in front of me, but I'm going to paraphrase, and I'm also going to clean it up a little bit. But he said that the guys from Stone Temple Pilots used to talk all kinds of crap on Scott Weiland, and then he said that you know Dean DeLeo, the guitar player, is a you know a, a word for a part of the body that you know men only have, and not a nice word. Uh, yeah. And apparently, he's got a um, uh, an amicable relationship with with the other DeLeo brother, um, the drummer, but. So these guys did one album together and basically Scott got cleaned up most likely from rehab and, and they just kicked him to the curb and got back together with STP. So he's got an axe to grind as as it would be, right? Right, right. And, and let me back up here. So, yeah, please. Um, most people know the Sun Temple Pilots album, Core. Yes. And they know the album, Purple. Yes. Um, my, my favorite album of theirs is their third album, uh, Tiny Music Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop. Absolutely. Um, it came out around um, 1995 or 96. Yeah, I think 96. I was looking um, at it today, yeah. Here's the really interesting part about this. Uh, the DeLeo the, the brothers, uh, Dean and Robert, or I'm sorry, yes, Dean and, Dean and Robert, they wrote 30 songs, okay? And Dean basically split the songs down the middle, um, half being Stone Temple Pilots, half being this band talk show's songs. Huh. So he had written these songs so they were essentially Stone Temple Pilots songs that he decided, okay, this would be more like Stone Temple Pilots. This is going to be our new, new project, which huh. is really kind of ridiculous if you think about well, it. He's, go ahead, sorry. He's yeah. writing songs. He's, he's writing songs for two bands. And, and I think the quote that, that stuck out with this Dave Coots guy uh, with me is when Dave was recording with the DeLeo brothers, um, it was almost like uh, he was dating someone that had just gotten out of an intense long-term relationship and they were talking smack on Scott Weiland the entire time. Right. Which is, I mean, you know, that's ridiculous. It's not like a comfortable environment. Um, the interesting thing about Dave Coots is a lot of fans thought um, after uh, Scott and then recently Chester um, leaving the band before he passed that they would call this Dave Coots back and Dave Coots had nothing nice to say about Dean DeLeo. Right. Which is, Probably why they didn't call him back. <laughs> right, exactly. But but I did listen to that record today. It's, it's a self-titled record, talk talk show's record called Talk Show. But it, it's funny that you mentioned, because they did come out, you know, Tiny Music came out in 96, and this came out in 97-ish, I believe. And it makes yeah. sense because, one, Tiny Music does not sound enough, does not sound very much like either Core or Purple, though it's still great, and I want to get into that in a minute. It sounds like Stone Temple Pilots. But it kind of did sound a lot like talk show, most likely because he wrote all those songs, like you said, and split them down the middle. Now, I just want to say about Tiny Music Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop, that it is still a great album. And I had forgotten the opening track, Press Play, which is an instrumental track, which is a fantastic song. Um, I also want to say that Lady Picture Show is a very good example, uh, as any for these guys, that they're writing, the DeLeo brothers, I'm going to go with Dean DeLeo probably, his writing is pretty much timeless rock songs with pop sensibilities, pop principles. Um, he really just writes good songs that still hold up. And I was 
Nice to get reacquainted with Big Bang Baby. Still catchy as F. Um, and I just think it's interesting that they had three bona fide singles on Tiny Music, had three bona fide singles on Core, had three on Purple. Um, and then my last observation, really, before we get into some other, other deep dive stuff, is I forgot about Art School Girl from that record, Tiny Music. And that is, in my opinion, the most interesting deep cut on Tiny Music <laughs> songs from Vatican yeah, and Gifts. Yeah. That's a funny one. Uh, it's a it's a good it's a song that like you hate it the first time you hear it but after like maybe the tenth play you can't get it out of your yeah head. it's very it's catchy in a weird way and that's what the filibuster freestyle enjoys you know there you go but um, tiny music uh, so clearly didn't enjoy the commercial success that that uh, core and purple enjoyed um, this was kind of the start or maybe the, the pinnacle of the downfall of uh, Scott Weiland and the, the Delia brothers, there was such heavy uh, heroin use going on between all of them. Um, when they recorded this album, they actually set up in a, uh, like a, uh, an old um, mansion in Hollywood. Okay. And they recorded like different tracks in different parts of the house. And they were trying to get, you know, they're being artsy and they're trying to get different sounds, but they would send Scott into town to pick up their, their smack. And then come back and all get loaded. And so, you know, as far as, you know, Dean and Robert kind of uh, pushing um, Scott under the, the bus on that, they, they were just as bad into uh, Well, that's drugs. the thing. I mean, number one, if your lead singer Scott Weiland, of course you're going to send him to go get it because he's, again, not to, de- not to deify a very, very tragic habit, but he's a – his tale is as legendary as any with that particular substance and his abuse of his abuse and journey of said substance. But you can't be throwing him under the bus about him being like a drug addict when you're recording the talk show album with, right. with, with Dave Coots. If you're sending him to go get the stuff you're going to use too. Right. Right. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's some good inside info up. there, Carl. They were all messed up and it was, uh, it was a bad problem. Frankly though, I still think it's a pretty good record and you've said he's your favorite. So, <laughs> You know what? I like. I, sometimes I like my rock stars. I'm a little bit of, uh, of well, extra little juice. Well, listen. It's just like it's not just like you can make a false equivalency towards performance enhancing uh, substances for athletes. Now, sure. not saying it's the right thing to do, whatever. But sometimes you need a little pep in your step. And again, not advocating for it on the filibuster freestyle one bit. But sometimes you make a great album. Sometimes you hit 74 home runs in a season. I'm just saying. Right. Yeah, so they were clearly on performance-enhancing uh, substances during right, that album. Right. Uh, if, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, it's worth a listen. And it's one that, you know, you can play front to back. I, I mean, all the songs are very different, um, but really creative. And uh, it, it's my favorite Stone Temple Pilots album. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, you, you appreciate Deep Cuts. So my favorite thing from back in the day was when, on the album Purple... I believe there was a hidden track at the end. And it was Scott Weiland kind of crooning, and he's like, the second album, dun-dun, 12 Gracious Melody. It was like just off, it was off tune. It was weird. Yeah. It was like a lounge thing. It was great. Well, he was like a big Sinatra guy. Yeah. He was a big Sinatra fan. And so, you know, even uh, – I think we touched on this um, – in a, a previous episode, back. yeah, he had he had a Christmas album. Yes, you do. You and I talked about this. Yes, it was horrible. I mean, I you know, totally cringeworthy, awful album. But he's trying to like Karun, like you know, Sinatra, one of those guys, and and 
you can see where he's getting his influence from, but he's just so smacked out that it's just it's not working. Yeah. And somebody's telling him, so, sure. Yeah. Well, you know what they're it. saying? They're saying, you know what? If we just let him do it and tell him it sounds great in one take, we yeah, can all go home and get some turkey dinner, right? Right. Um, let's shift gears to this project called uh, Army of Anyone, yes, which is also so. an STP endeavor with not with the DeLeo brothers, and it sounds like filter singer Richard Patrick and uh, a drummer. Uh, who's the drummer? I'm sorry, do you have Ray, this one? Ray Luz Gay um, from the band Corn. Yes, um, right. So I almost think this was. So we talked about like the jealous ex. Uh, position yes i almost think this was dean and robert's um way to try to get back at scott for doing velvet revolver because it was like a year or two after that had started yeah um this project came out and kind of a really uh interesting project um richard patrick of uh filter is you know an awesome like 90s grunge singer yes um quick quick uh take on him his brother is actually the bad Terminator in Terminator 2. Robert Patrick? Yeah. That's his brother, the singer of Filter? Hey, man, nice Richard, shot. Rick, Richard Patrick, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so... See, really quickly, that's kind of like a great Thanksgiving dinner because both guys can argue they're more successful and like it's actually kind of true because I think Richard Patrick's had a better career as a singer, and but right. to be the bad Terminator, to be the T-1000 or whatever it was, yeah, uh, that's pretty badass too. So I actually had the um, good luck to see these guys at the TLA in 2006. Which is a tiny music venue in Philadelphia, for those of you not familiar. About a thousand person, grimy rock club. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, and um, you know, we went and saw the opening act, and they had this massive drum kit on stage. And this poor opening act ahead of uh, Army of Anyone they had to play like around this drum kit. The stage isn't that big. Right. I mean, I was looking at this drum kit like, what kind of jerk thinks that they're going to come in and rock that kit? And this guy, Ray Luzier, blew my mind. I mean, he was an animal. Um, they were really good together. I thought they were really cohesive. Never became a big commercial success. Yeah. Um, and and I'm going to get back to that in a little bit. But I really enjoyed that band. And I still listen to those songs. I think they're really great. Yeah. Um, it, when you listen to them, they are clearly uh, Stone Temple Pilots driven. Yeah. I mean, you yes. Robert and Dean um, in the writing. Uh, same as talk show. Yeah, well, that's what I was trying to, I, I kind of noticed today. And I'm new to both talk show and Army of Anyone. But really quick notes I had, you know, the song Nonstop, I really liked. Um, yeah. On that record, but it is very STP-esque, as are many. I did think the song Leave It was good, and I liked Leave It because in that song, Richard Patrick actually sounds like himself, the filter singer, instead of trying to be Scott Weiland, which right. I found I found as a common theme. You know, it makes sense that Dave Coates was, Coates was doing it, but when Richard Patrick, who's got a known voice on his own, and in a second we'll get into Chester Bedingfield doing it, you know, there's a couple songs with Chester where I'm like, but you're Chester. Like, just be Chester. And I just right. think it's really interesting that those guys were going to write Stone Temple Pilots songs, but then get singers who were famous in their own rights and then pretend they were Scott Weiland. Yeah. Which makes more sense why they're doing it with Jeff Gutt, which we'll get into too. But anyway, yeah. I liked that there's a couple songs where it was just like the guy from Filter was fronting the band. 
and yeah, sounding like himself, being, and I kind of liked it better than trying to pretend you're Scott Weiland. Totally. He was just being Richard Patrick, and it sounds like the lead singer of Filter. I mean, it's, it's him. He's not, he's not trying to alter his voice. Yeah. Um, which I guess brings us to Chester. Prior to Chester, uh, Sentinel Pilot, I think, had two more albums. Both were bombs. They just weren't very, in my opinion, you know, the, the first three albums, that, that's where you get your Sentinel Pilots. Um, yeah. That's, that was at his best. Um, obviously, he peaked out, like I said, that Tiny Music um, album. Um, but Chester comes in, and this is interesting. So um, Scott, again, having a lot of trouble. Um, Chester comes in, they hire Chester. They did not tell Scott they were hiring Chester. Oh. A big problem. Did Chester know that, that Scott didn't know? I, I don't know that. Okay. Um, so that was a big problem. Uh, Scott argued that it was his band name. He came up with the name. He wrote the lyrics. Ultimately, it should be his band. Um, which I don't at that point necessarily disagree with them. Okay. Um, Scott went off and did his own uh, project called uh, Scott Weiland and the Wildabouts. So I mentioned I got a chance to see Army of Anyone. Sorry if I'm talking a lot here. You're good, man. Um, so I, I, got the, I, I had the opportunity to see Sons of Pilots, and I had the opportunity to see Scott Weiland and the Wildabouts. Yeah. And Probably two weeks prior to me purchasing tickets, he had like a meltdown on stage. Like horrible, sounded awful. And I said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not paying fifty some dollars to see you know uh, an idol of mine from the '90s make a mess of himself. Yes, don't meet your don't meet your heroes type. (laughs) Solid advice. So Chester, I didn't I didn't feel like Chester that variation was Stone Temple Pilots even though I think it's funny they did talk show and they did Army of Anyone and then finally decided to hire a different singer and call it Stone Temple Pilots right well it's almost like because I you know maybe because of how well known he is maybe because of how mad they were at Scott Weiland or whatever it is they were like you know what if we get a singer who is bona fide star in his own right and if we just say we're Stone Temple Pilots and at the end of the day you know, yeah. we are, you know? Right. And they probably yeah. took advantage of Scott at, at a moment when he was kind of in one of his valleys uh, along his journey of, of, you know, tough times overall and, uh, you know, took advantage of it. And ironically, Chester clearly had his own issues, some of his own demons, which unfortunately he and one of his good friends and, and, and collaborators, Chris Cornell, are both this year within months of each other, uh, took their own lives. I'm going to bring this full circle at the end, so remind me. Okay. Um, but the Scott, so Scott Weiland was going through horrible problems at the time. This uh, didn't help uh, hearing that his band had basically been um, stolen from him. Um, his Both his mom and I believe his, um, his father-in-law were having awful health problems. And then it was reported that he was, uh, he owed... Uh, $60,000 a month in alimony and child support. So he was just really not, not, not having a good time. And I think, uh, you know, the drug use, uh, just got worse and worse. And then obviously he passed away, um, loaded up on a lot of different stuff. Poor guy. Um, guy. I mean, really. So the Chester, the Chester years, you know, I just, I just can't say that, 
I agree with calling it Sentinel Pilots with Chester. Um, I feel like Chester was trying to do an impression of Scott Weiland. Yeah, he was. Yeah, it didn't. I mean, clearly, it's Chester. I have a lot of respect for Chester. I think he's a you know, in his yeah. own right, he's a great artist. Um, they, I think they did five, a five-song EP. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it was okay. I, the you thing know, about the EP though was there was at least one or two songs when he sounded like Chester. Right. Singing with Stone Temple Pilots versus Chester trying to be Scott Weiland. And again, I argue just 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 do you. They hired you to be you, or at least they should have. And if they right. didn't, that's on them for trying to continue to go back to Scott Weiland's voice without putting Scott in the band. You know? Yeah. It was yeah. fine. It was fine, but not their best work and not his best work. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I uh, I'm not a huge fan of that whole you know that time period. Um, so anyway, Chester actually left the band prior to his passing. He, he wanted to go back and do, um, some more work with Lincoln Park. Um, he left in 2015 and then I think in September of 2016, uh, the Delio brothers, uh, Dean and Robert, and then the original drummer, uh, Eric Kretz, um, set out, uh, a specific set of guidelines for a tryout. And they got 15,000 submissions. 15,000. Um, it's a lot they, of people wanting to be your lead singer. I guess. Somebody wants to be the lead singer of Stone Temple Pilots. They went through all the submissions. Um, they were narrow, narrowing it down to do in person. And then I guess a friend of a friend said, you got to check this guy out. They went and saw um, this guy, Jeff Gutt, play locally. And then um, they brought in 50 and did uh, an in-studio. Each uh, person got to do three songs, sing three songs. Wow. Uh, so Jeff Gutt uh, apparently went with the hardest, what he would think would be the hardest first, which is a song called Piece of Pie, which is basically a you know flat-out scream. Um, not a lot on Gutt. He was in a new metal band called uh, Dry Cell. Uh, he was on two seasons of X Factor, yeah, it's kind of interesting how he's so corporate. Like, again, not that he's corporate, but he's coming through. You know, these guys came up absolutely 25 years ago in the old school way. If you get, you get, you know, an A&R guy or somebody finds you, et cetera. This guy literally goes through two seasons of like a Simon Cowell produced show, you know? So, yeah. so it's just kind of interesting that they, they decide to go with this. I mean, they went with, you know, a little known guy named Dave Coates. They'd go with... A uh, quasi well, a pretty well known guy in Richard Patrick. They go with a very well known guy in Chester Bedingfield. Uh, you know, they go with Scott a couple different times. Now they're going with a guy who's one unknown, but two known to like the reality world. Just what do you, what's your take on that? I, you know, it's funny. I, I watched a couple of his videos on the reality side of things. He's yeah. still like he, he's not trying to be like the uh, crooner. Like he's trying to actually sing the song in like a rock way. Yeah. Like I don't think he compromises his, um, you know, he's got like a grit to his voice. I don't think he compromises that at all. It's interesting though, that he was on X factor. Um, I said, I was going to bring a full circle here. So one of his famous X factor performances, uh, was a song called hallelujah. Yeah. And Chester, Chester famously sang that at Chris Cornell's funeral. Right. Which is kind of odd. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I guess it's a popular song, but 
I just it's find a super that, popular that song, and I would actually not not to bring in the context of funerals or anything else, but I would now actually say that song is completely overplayed in terms of how many artists have tried to do it. It's like it's almost like doing Sweet Caroline if you're a wedding band. Like you know what? Okay. Ba- I don't think it's a bad song. And actually, it's a really. I just thought it was funny. Like, oh, that, no! To your point, it's very odd, ironic, yeah. if you will. No yeah. question. Um, let's get into this new song, Meadow. Okay. I like it a lot. Um, um, and I think I think this guy Jeff Gutt has a really nice delivery. It is a Scott Weiland. It's a Scott Weiland esque thing. But what I noticed about this song, and maybe this is one of the reasons they, they released one song only for now while they're working on maybe mastering or finishing their album, is the songs that they did with Talk Show, the songs that they did with Army of Anyone, I, they were clearly STP songs, but they just didn't have that vintage STP swag, if you will. Mm-hmm. This song kind of has that vintage STP swag. Um, I think so. It's very... It's good, man. Like it's good. It's it's it sounds like it's from nineteen ninety four, but like in a good way, and it also sounds current in a good way. It's a very good song. And the guy Jeff, that that's his voice. I mean, I, he's yeah. not compromising anything when he's singing it that way. He just happens to sound a heck of a lot like Scott Weiland, right? Um, it's not like he's you know making alterations in the way he he sings. Um, Apparently, they have a full album recorded, which is really phenomenal. They're ready to tour. Um, you know, I'm just really thrilled for this. And, and I would say to the purists that, you know, uh, unfortunately, Scott's no longer with us. And the Delia Brothers, if you listen to all these variations of what they had, they still sound like Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. It's still their band. Yeah. Um, I think they, I think they did a lot of uh, work to respect Scott and finding a guy that you know does sound like him. I don't think it's like a, I don't think it's a knockoff, but I think it, I think they, they, they're paying respect to him by, by finding this guy. Yeah, I well, feel. I will say this: um, they clearly were going to keep this thing going with or without Scott. It feels a lot less icky with him being unavailable for obvious reasons that he's gone. Um, I do agree with you that in listening to their other stuff that I was not until this weekend familiar with at all, again, the talk show, the army of anyone that they have a sound. They sound like them. It's kind of like, you know, Kings of Leon sounds like Kings of Leon. Now they have a million different variations of what they sound like, but you know, it's them. The DeLeo brothers write a certain kind of song um, that typically they find a singer who, they try to get to sound as much like Scott Weiland as possible. So again, if Journey can have a guy 30 years younger than Steve Perry who looks nothing like Steve Perry but sounds exactly like Steve Perry sing old hits, if they want to make some new music with this guy under the same band name and sing the hits as well, I'm not going to stop them. I'm really interested to see if they can actually get traction with a new hit or if they will be, as our friend Dave Coates said, in their own tribute band. You know, is this song Meadow going to hit? Is the record going to hit? Will they be relevant in their own right? Or will they be like Steve Miller Band, which, you know, I saw Steve Miller Band 30 years after he was famous and he was doing the stuff that got him famous and that's great, but he wasn't relevant. So this is their chance to either be relevant with a new singer 
or be a tribute band to themselves. And I don't, I'm not mad either way. I'm interested to see what happens. I'm rooting for them more than I was before you hit me off to this new song. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling the same way. I, I feel a new excitement, not the way I felt like when they said Chester's going to be the singer. Um, you know, I feel really good about this guy. First of all, the process they went, that they went through to find him, um, I think that's incredible. To go through 15,000 submissions, you know, I don't even know what's involved in that, but but it sounds like a heck of a process. Um, and and as far as, you know, I know at least from this first song, it, it stands on its own. Yeah, it's good. It sounds great. I, I really do. And, it, and like you said, it sounds like old Stone Temple Pilots, but, you know, I, I'm thrilled that they're able to write new music. And it's on the, the radio and... It's starting to get some buzz. Now, there's also a lot of people that are like, well, it's not Scott, so it's not Stone Temple Pilots. And there's going to be those people. Yeah. I sure. just, as a huge Stone Temple Pilots fan, I don't feel that way. Well, it's good. And hopefully others don't. You know, that's all I can say. I mean, you never know how people are going to react to that. But to your point, uh, if they're going to try to keep doing it and, and Scott Weiland is no longer available to do it, at this point, you know, you, you got You can't use that as a as an excuse to not get involved. Um, all right. What else? Yeah. Anything else on this, or is that pretty much what you need to cover? That's pretty much it. All right. Well, let's promo an idea that you have, which is you know, every the last couple of years in the freestyle, we've done some Christmas themed episodes. In fact, two of our most listened to of all time are the one you did last year about un Christmas Christmas songs, ultimate playlist, and the one we did two years ago with Ann Kennedy on. Um, Christmas movies. And this year, we're going to do a spin off that first year, your idea, which was to do non Christmas movies that happen to take place during Christmas, of which you mentioned Gremlins and I know uh, Die Hard, which actually I've now, two years ago, said is one of my favorite Christmas movies, but it was not built as a Christmas movie, and I agree with that. So we're going to get into that. We haven't done the research on it yet, but people should be ready and willing in the next three, four weeks or less. Uh, for, for, for Carl and I to break down some some Christmas movies that are not about Christmas but are set during Christmas. Yeah. Anything you want to say on that? I left one out that you mentioned. Um, I said Grandma's. I said Die Hard. Oh, there's a bunch of them. There's so many. I and I'm really excited yeah. to go deep. Yeah, we're not gonna, let's, let's save it. I, I don't want to ruin it. Okay, fine. Um, and, then, and then I want to say, you know, Happy Thanksgiving to you. Where are you guys going, you and your fam? Ten minutes away to my... Uh, my uh, my in-laws. Well, good. So, well, I um, hope everybody has a good time. Uh, thank happy Thanksgiving to the, the entire filibuster freestyle listening base. Uh, some of them who are, who are Eagles fans, congrats on having a really good start to your season. Thanks to Dan O'Brien for being on earlier. Thanks to Carl Ray. Filibusterfreestyle.com. Uh, Sorry, Carl. Go ahead. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, you know, clearly I'm really passionate about sensible pilots, and uh, you know, I I was really thrilled when they came out with this song. So. I appreciate you doing this uh, quick filibuster. Absolutely, man. We'll stick around for a minute. We'll catch up. Everybody else, again, happy Thanksgiving from the filibuster freestyle. And while you're over, you know, over your in-laws' houses or wherever, everybody, and your white meat, dark meat, legs, cranberry sauce, squash, politics, the whole nine yards, uh, tell a friend or two or a family member or two about the freestyle. Let's see if we can't keep this thing running. That's all I got to say there. You know what I mean? But thanks to everybody who does listen. Carl? Talk to you soon, buddy. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Gavin. You got it.